playing with a ball. At first sight, I thought they had been young men. But when I saw the hair of their heads hanging down on their backs, I didn't know them to be women. They're very pretty ones indeed. <laughs> this is uh, the most powerful women in the Ottoman Empire. We're going to start over again. And... Wonder if you'd believe Podcasting. this as a solution to the Aboriginal problem. We just did that. Australia's dark secret of inhumane treatment. It's, uh... In 1620, a newcomer entered the Imperial Palace. The hidden Istanbul. world of the harem. Her name was Alexandra Lizovska. Most powerful women in the Ottoman Empire, the, the hidden world of the, the harem. From the Ukraine. <laughs> captured by slave hunters to join the army of servants and concubines in the service of the Sultan. The Ottoman Empire, most the hidden world of the harem in the Ottoman Empire. This is Timeline World History Documentaries YouTube channel. Not of Turkish extraction. Either Slavs captured by the Tatars probably. The Tatars. The Caucasus, who were very prized for their looks. Slavs. Like the Ukraine. And they were predominantly Christian. The enslavement of freeborn Muslims was forbidden by the Quran. In our history, writing about the harem and the Sultan's women, or talking about them, would be true and forbidden. So nobody has written anything, and we always have to decorate these stories in our imagination. And foreign travellers have also done this. And they were very taken with the idea that there were all these uh, women locked up together. They soon came up with stories filled in the gaps about what was going on in the world. Most of those involved a lot of sex, a lot of rather abusive treatment of young women. <coughs> the first Englishman to catch a glimpse into the Imperial harem was a London mechanic, sent by Queen Elizabeth I to the palace of the great Sultan to install her gift of an organ. Somebody else is gonna try to install their gift of an organ too. Playing with a ball. Mechanic. At first sight, I thought they'd been young men, but when I saw the hair of their heads hanging down on their backs, I didn't know them to be women. They're very pretty ones indeed. so thin I could discern the skin of their thighs through it. Wow. I stood so long looking upon them that he who had showed me began to be very angry and stamped with his staff to make me give over looking. <laughs> the inner part of the palace, especially the harem, was officially called the abode of felicity because <laughs> the sultan had a special relationship with God. This was the reason why all the means of happiness were actually supplied. The best food, the best things to drink, the best music, the best singing, the best manuscripts with figures in them, which is 
friend come by and strip Muslims. You have the means to be happy, but it's very difficult to tell whether they actually Could they read? A descendant of Suleiman's, one of the last princes to have lived in the harem, considered that his ancestors would have found it more lonely than lavish. The prince lived a luxurious life, but a very lonely life in a way, because all he had were hundreds of women around him. I lived amongst them, and I was more or less brought up by them. I didn't realize it at the time that it was anything extraordinary because I was used to it. You think everybody else lives that way? It's all you know. Grow up in a harem. Harem. Seemed to be known as Quran. It would have been anything but ordinary. When the girls first arrived, they would be examined to make sure that they didn't have any physical When I told my brother I was getting when I told my brother I was getting check this out as of November for any diseases women come to the harem at an early age harem
concubines, because they are slaves, have fewer rights over children. Sex side, basically. I've been to Istanbul before. Not Constantinople, but Istanbul. To a free Muslim woman, the daughter of some important writer in Istanbul, or someone will immediately make the Sultan related to a segment of society, and this may cause divisions with other segments of society. These are the personal slaves of the Sultan. They don't have any family, they don't have any connections. know the feelings of the women who enter the harem. There must be fear and terror as well as other emotions, but also the delight of material comforts. And there's the possibility of becoming the Sultan's consul. Imperial harem in 16th century Istanbul is one of the most secret societies in the world. Even in the early 20th century, shortly before it was abolished, it was difficult to discover precisely what went on here. I asked my mother and my mother's sisters about their grandmother's life in the harem, and they said that uh, because it was prohibited to talk about the life in the harem, she could say nothing to them. Modern historians have been less restricted, and their discoveries... Well, you're not a fucking harem anymore, Mom. <laughs> Fortunately. Are you? We should think of the harem as a unique place, as a collection of females who were more highly educated, more highly trained, and trained in a variety of ways than women in this general society. So I think we might think of the Imperial Harem as the only female university in the Empire. The latest undergraduate was the priest's daughter, Alexandra Lizovska, now known as Hurem, the Laughing One. When a woman like Hurem arrived in the Harem, she would be given further education, uh, and by education I mean some religious training, a knowledge of Islam, she would be taught the etiquette of the court. She would be trained in the skill that most harem women were adept at, that is, embroidery. Wonderful things. The embroidery that she produced could be sold through agents on the market. So it was a profitable skill. It wasn't just a, a gentlewoman's skill. They learned the palace attitude. That was not very easy. <laughs> In groceries, gas, rent, bills. How are we meant to afford it all at the moment? Finally, the U.S. government is stepping in and saying enough is enough. Uh, raise the red lantern. Well, I think they are. Um, 
maybe on the honors. The Good Earth. Pearl Buck. Pearless Buck. The Good Earth. You know, that dude's a Chinese. He raised himself up from Chinese peasant to a landowner and, and uh, wealthy landowner. Then he dies and it all goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> he loses it. I think, yeah, he he gets in, involved in gambling or something. Loses everything. Gambling and um, opium. <laughs> anyway, we're listening to the yeah, most powerful women in the Ottoman Empire. By the way, I hold a Master's of Studies in Women's Studies. <laughs> A master's in women studies from Oxford University. So, thank you, Oxford. I accept your, I accept your master's degree, and thank you for honoring me with the in the invitation to be your psychology tutor. You're welcome, universe. Now I'm going to spread the love, spread the good words, uh, you know, what I learned in trauma therapy consulting. I say that's kind of like what I did. I was going to go to Peshawar, but then there was, uh, because America, America is a little too fucking strong. Strong. Because America is too strong. America. <sighs> there was a travel ban. Travel warning. Um, in Peshawar. And right about that time. That was when that. Uh, economist. Reporter. Jewish. Got his head cut off. And um, a shower. So maybe that would have happened to me, but you know, it was, she couldn't. Nobody can guarantee. Like my, uh, I was going to go there and uh, meet, carry out research, do research on um this this. Um, Pakistani women and children refugees from Afghanistan. Is that while I was at the State Department, U.S. State Department? M. M. I, uh, was a caseworker for the president, President Clinton's interagency council on women. On women, yes. That's how I got into Oxford. If you want to know how I got into Oxford, it's because I was extremely qualified. <laughs> that was not very easy how to greet people and to walk backwards to leave the sultan's room huh. and how to be respectful and well behaved at all times and never <laughs> be angry huh. 
They had lessons every day, and most learned to read and write, and yeah. to read the Quran. You can say that about the general population. About the everybody in the eyes population. Of Oops. Okay, pulling up, pulling up. Islamic religious law permits polygamy. Right. A man could marry up to four women at any given time. And could also have concubines on the side. But the number of polygamous marriages were really very few. Only the ruling class, for example, like the sultans, would have a harem. When he was a young ruler, oh, it was said by Don't. foreign diplomats that Suleiman very lustful frequently visited the palace of the women and there, in their phrase, did justice, i.e. made love. And he, <laughs> the Sultan, was encouraged to behave a bit as did a prize stud to cover more and more mad so cool. that the biological future of the dynasty was secured. Did the reason that the Ottomans chose to reproduce through concubines is it gave them more reproductive freedom. Um, the difference between having a child with a concubine and having a child with, say, a royal princess is that the princess, the married woman, has many more rights um, as a mother. Concubines, because they are slaves, have fewer rights over children. <laughs> I was just thinking about maybe I should write about my uh, last hurrah in Taiwan. The Sultan is considered to be above society, separate from society. That was the very ideology of the state. You can imagine that a relationship by marriage to a free Muslim woman, the daughter of some important writer in Istanbul or somewhere, would immediately make the Sultan related to a segment of society, and this may cause divisions with other segments. These are the personal slaves of the Sultan. They don't have any family, they don't have any connections. They know the feelings of the women who entered the harem. There must have been fear and terror as well as other emotions, but also the delight of material comfort. And there was the possibility of becoming the Sultan's consort. The imperial harem in 16th century Istanbul was one of the most secret societies in the world. Even in the early 20th century, shortly before it was abolished, it was difficult to discover precisely what went on here. I asked my mother and my mother's sisters about their grandmother's life in the harem, and they said that is because it was prohibited to talk about the life in the harem, she could tell nothing to them. Modern historians have been less restricted, and their discoveries have challenged the old Western fantasies. It's not where women lounged around and spent their time, the sort of Orientalist image we have. We should think of the harem as a unique place, 
as a collection of females who were more highly educated, more highly trained, and trained in a variety of ways than women in this general society. So I think we might think of the imperial harem as the only female university in the empire. The latest undergraduate was the priest's daughter, Alexandra Lizovska, now known as Hurem, the laughing one. When a woman like Hurem arrived in the harem, she would be given further education. Uh, and by education, I mean some religious training, a knowledge of Islam. She would be taught the etiquette of the court. She would be trained in the skill that most harem women were adept at, that is, embroidery. Wonderful things. The embroidery that she produced could be sold through agents on the market. So it, it was a profitable skill, it wasn't just a, a gentlewomanly skill. They learned to tell us attitude. That was not very easy. How to greet people and to walk backwards to leave the Sultan's room. And how to be respectful and well behaved at all times and not to be angry. They had lessons every day and most learned to read and write and to read the Quran. Had the prying eyes of Western travellers pierced the outer walls, they would have perceived a vastly different harem from the sexual paradise or inferno of their imagining. Making love is the one thing most inmates of the harem were not doing, at least if they were following the rules. Relatively few got to spend the night with the Sultan. Living there must have been very claustrophobic. If you've got a relatively small space with several hundred women living in it, access to the outside world is very limited. The views over Istanbul, if you could get them, must have been um, quite, had quite an effect on people. It was a very comfortable place, but it was more like a comfy prison than a comfortable place. and the prison warders were the eunuchs. Only men who had been castrated were allowed into the harem on a regular basis. And like the women, most would spend their entire lives here. The enclosure of women itself seems very objectionable. Um, but perhaps even more objectionable Slavery. is the mutilation of young men in order to provide uh, eunuchs to start eunuchs. <laughs> It was forbidden by Islamic law to castrate a Muslim or perform the operation on others. So it was carried out by Coptic Christian priests in Egypt. The method of castration, and there are two types. One is cutting the testes and the other twisting and cracking them. <laughs> testes! Sometimes oh uh, there's a method called uh, clean-shaven. <laughs> and uh, which meant that they removed everything. Oh my god. And it made it almost impossible for them to perform their hey. usual body functions. Oh my 
According to one ambassador, they kept uh, silver quills in their uh, turbans, and they would use those quills in order to urinate. Oh, wow. One of the duties of the eunuchs was to ensure that the concubines did not have sex with anyone but the sultan, men, women, or whatever else came to hand. Cucumbers were not let into the harem because <laughs> they were used uh, as a penis, it is said. But the guards themselves were not beyond suspicion. <laughs> the process of castration was very frightening and difficult for the boys, and often, out of fear, their uh, testicles would retreat. They would remain intact, and sometimes over time they would be able to function sexually. There are many accounts of the eunuchs having relationships with the women in the harem. This was one reason why the eunuchs in the harem were exclusively African. It was one way of making sure that these men couldn't inseminate the female members of the imperial family huh. without everybody noting that she'd given birth to a uh, half-black child. <laughs> but for Huren, as for most newcomers to the harem, there was little opportunity for dalliance with eunuchs or anyone. The girls were higher the harem, they would be given their own quarters, but the rest of the girls would uh, share their rooms. Yeah, probably rampant homosexuality. Watched over the younger girls to make sure that they weren't getting into any kind of a mischief, such as talking in the dark sharing their bed together. <laughs> Girls' boarding school or comfy prison, it was not perhaps the happiest of estates for the daughter of a priest. But if Huren dreamed of improving her lot, there was always the possibility of sex with the Sultan. Though this too was hedged with its own barriers of ritual and restraint. There's some report that you know, sultans like to watch lots of pretty girls sort of jumping about and all together. Um, there's the story that the sultan would throw a handkerchief towards the woman who caught his eye. The surprised virgin snatches at this prize and good fortune with such eagerness that she is ravished with joy before she is deflowered by the sultan. Such reports have never been verified, and for most harem women not yet numbered among the favourites, a handkerchief was just another item of laundry. Very few of them ever got to see the salt. When I told my brother I was getting thousands of dollars worth of financial assistance, he didn't believe it either. But check this out. As of November 1st, 2022, enrollment... Very few of them ever got to see the sultan, and let alone jump into his bed. I mean, in order to get anywhere and not just be washing the sultan's underpants the rest of your life, you have to maneuver yourself into position with the women who chose who went to bed with the sultan, his mother.
In reality, the Sultan's mother would scout for suitable candidates among these now derelict pools and fountains in the bowels of Topkapi. And physical attraction was far from being her only criteria. An eligible concubine would obviously need to be attractive. She needed to be healthy because her principal job was reproduction. Because of the important role that mothers played in training their sons, she also needed to be shrewd. And the way they were introduced was that they were asked to go to a semi-covered pool underneath the Crown Princess apartment. That was an opportunity for the sultans to watch them and observe them and choose their favorites. Whatever it was that brought Hurem to the attention of the sultan, or indeed his mother, the preparations for her first night with him would have followed a well-established ritual. The day she is going to be with the Sultan, she goes to the bathhouse and has face and body treatments. And her hands and hair are painted with henna. The idea of any hair on the body was a thought of horror, <laughs> and so they would remove any kind of hair, including their pubic hair. What they used was really an awful smelling paste that contained arsenic. And if you left it too long, it could burn the skin very badly. And they used mussel shells to scrape it off. They would put henna, four fingers, above the pubic area. It's a decorative, beautiful design detail. Concubines were assumed to be virgins. But I don't think we can assume the naivete and the innocence that kind of goes along with the whole notion of virgins. I mean, these women were prepared for their job. I don't know the details. We have stories written by European observers. Are they fanciful? Are they true? It's hard to know. Hmm. All the older women, and those who have had his good graces before, go to the favorite of the day, congratulating her for the great distinction which she has received, and saluting her as befits the concubine of the emperor, blessing her superbly, and decking her out with countless jewels. Look at, uh... She would be given new clothes and shoes and and trained also in the erotic arts. We don't really know exactly Marco what that Polo. entailed. Did he ever I think we have to assume, however, that the Sultan's mother, his sisters, experienced women, high-level women within the harem, would probably provide the finishing touches, hmm? would explain the particular person that the concubine would encounter. My son is like this. Your Lord is like this. The court musician, Albert Bobovy, 
provided a colorful account of the courtship ritual. Kind of sad to call them well, the most powerful played. women the in the Ottoman Empire. The day she is going to be with the Sultan, she goes to the bathhouse and has face and body treatments. And her hands and hair are painted with henna. The idea of any hair on the body was a thought of horror, and so they would remove any kind of hair, including their pubic hair. What they used was really an awful smelling paste that contained arsenic. And if you left it too long, it could burn the skin very badly. Why would and you do that? And they used muscle shells to scrape it off. They would put henna, four fingers, above the pubic area. Mm -hmm. It's a decorative, beautiful design detail. Got a picture of that. Concubines were assumed to be virgins. But I don't think we can assume the naivete and the innocence. It's the kind of goes along with the whole notion of virgins. I mean, these women were prepared for their job. Hands? <clears throat> I don't know the details. Hands? We have stories written by European observers. Are they fanciful? Are they true? It's hard to know. All the older women, and those who have had his good graces before, go to the favorite of the day, congratulating her for the great distinction which she has received and saluting her as befits the concubine of the emperor, dressing her superbly and decking her out with countless jewels. She would be given new clothes and shoes and, and trained also in the erotic arts. We don't really know exactly what that entailed. I think we have to assume, however, that the sultan's mother, his sisters, experienced women, high-level women within the harem, would probably provide the finishing touches, would explain the particular person that the concubine would encounter. My son is like this. Your lord is like this. The court musician, Albert Bobovy, provided a colorful account of the courtship ritual. While music is played, the women sing before her and conduct her to the door of the chamber where there is a eunuch who tells the sultan of her arrival and has her enter when the sultan commands it. As soon as she sees him, she must go to him running and kneel at his feet, and he receives her and holds what conversation seems good to him with the women's music continuing to play at the door while she is with him. There are also stories of her entering the bed from the foot of the bed. So the Sultan would be waiting for this beauty to crawl from the foot of the bed and reach him. Whatever happened that night, Suleiman wanted it to continue. Purem was invited back to his bed again and again. 
she was soon firmly established as the Sultan's favorite, to the exclusion, records tell us, of all others. sources tell us that he fell in love with her. A deadly rivalry had reached into the harem. It was not simply a question of who would occupy the Sultan's bed. It was a far more vital con... Grant speaking. Great news, Grant. You're going to be in the FanDuel Super Bowl commercial. So I just lift up my phone and say, new FanDuel customers, bet $5, win 150 bucks. And kick a field goal during the Super Bowl. What? FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It was a far more vital conflict over who would produce the next ruler of the Ottoman Empire. The new favorite, Huren or the old favorite, Mahi Devran. Mahi Devran was the mother of the oldest son. So that Hurem coming in, obviously being the Sultan's new favorite, was a threat to her. According to Venetian report, Mahi Devran picked a fight with Hurem and called her soiled meat. And this provoked uh, a physical struggle between them. Hurem's face was scratched, her hair was pulled. And the next time the Sultan called for Hurem, she replied she was unworthy of his attention since she was soiled meat. And of course, this intrigues Suleiman, piques his curiosity, and he calls her again. And she tells the whole story, of course, with Mahi Devran appearing as the bad guy. And here's an early sign of Hurem's intelligence and ability to manipulate the whole palace system. Hurem knew how to play her cards. You have to think how the women we know about got never shot. We know about them because they fought their way to the floor up the ladder. It was intensely concentrated, born intrigue, battling, jockeying for position, hoping to produce an heir. Hurem gave birth to her first son, Prince Mehmet, in 1521. If Suleiman had played the game by the rules, he should have moved on to a new woman. But he didn't. Before Hurem's time, if a concubine of the Sultan produced a son, then she was kicked out of bed. Hurem produced one son, but then she produced several more. Suleiman kept her in his bed. There are a number of reasons why they followed this one mother, one son principle. Mothers were important advisors to their sons. So for us two sons to have to share a mother meant they only had half of an advisor, had half of support. If a woman is identified with only one son, she is completely with him in this game of power. And it was a game Hurem had to win. 
Under Islamic law, all sons had an equal right of inheritance. But in the Ottoman court, the losers lost more than the throne. The sons of a sultan were in combat. Survival of the fittest. The one who was strongest, most able, became the sultan. The sons were going to vie amongst themselves to become the sultan. And it was winner takes all. They had to race to Constantinople, they had to raise the support. And when they were acclaimed sultan, they put all their brothers to death. All dynasties have had problems in securing an uninterrupted and legitimate succession. Many wars have been started in England and France by discontented royal brothers or cousins or other relations. The ultimate solution was to have a harem so there was no lack of male heirs. After the sudden succession, other male members of the dynasty were murdered. If I had lived in those days, since I was a younger brother, I would probably have been strangled very young or even as a child. But then after being strangled, I would have been buried with great ceremony. That's why... Uh... Which is not much of a consolation. By 1530, Sudan so had five there. sons, and four of them All the brothers have equal. Why don't? Why is it? Uh, why aren't they ordered by the father? And they worried that Suleiman had gone head over heels in love. The foreign sources tell us that people even went so far as to call her a witch because of their fear that she had somehow seduced the Sultan. New concubines huh. were brought into the harem in the hope of tempting Suleiman from the path of fidelity. They included two Russian women with the same highly prized looks as Hurem. Women given directly to the Sultan would be highly cultivated, attractive, intelligent women. Naturally, she might see a competition. Anyway, the story goes, she was so put out through a fish that the Sultan had to give them away. So here we see another sign of Hurem being able to manipulate the politics of the harem and, and to use her own special position as a real favorite of the Sultan. <laughs> Other eligible concubines were married off as virgins to Suleiman's courtiers. Wouldn't it be better if a leather holster could lock? With limited carry options, responsible gun owners know the frustrations that come with carrying a gun. Unlike leather that's flexible, Kydex and plastic courtiers. And then, in 1534, 14 years after Suleiman and Hiram first made love, the Sultan made an even bigger break with tradition. Married her? Western observers were astounded. This week there occurred a most extraordinary event. <laughs> Unprecedented in the history of the Sultans. Suleiman has taken to himself as his empress, a slave woman from Russia. Huh. Wow. 
<laughs> he married her, which is the incredible thing. Sultans didn't marry their concubines. They didn't, they didn't need to. <laughs> a concubine, by definition, is a man's female slave. Wow. According to the religious law, can, like, you can't marry that. Concubine. So you have to free her in order to marry her. There is great talk about the marriage, and none can say what it means. <laughs> One thing it meant was power. For the first time in their history, the Ottomans had a queen. After she was married, we start calling her Horem Sultan. And she was really like a queen. She builds up diplomatic relations, and she also influences her husband politically. <laughs> She's a great queen. In another move that impressed Western observers, Hurem occupied new apartments, next to her husband. The chambers of the Sultana are very splendid. With chapels, baths, gardens, not only for herself, but her maids as well. She has her own private compartments. Private quarters. But for long periods, the two lovers were apart. Suleiman was a fighting sultan who had already extended his empire westward. Took Belgrade, he destroyed the whole of the Hungarian ruling classes in 1526, the Battle of Mohash, had a stroke and rode into Buda, a conqueror. And by 1529, he was at the gates of Vienna. But even on campaign, his thoughts were with Hurem. He sent frequent love letters and poems. Where we can get nearer to his personality is through his poems, which are remarkable for any ruler. The green of my garden, my sweet sugar, <laughs> my treasure, my love who cares for nothing in this world, my master of Egypt, my Joseph, my everything, the queen of my heart's realm, my land of the Roman Caesars, my Baghdad and Khorasan. Wow, fucking great. Lovely, lovely poems exist that pass back That's and forth awesome in correspondence between the two. That's a life. If the seas were to become ink and these trees pens, when could they write an account of this parting? There is no limit to the burning anguish of separation. Let my soul gain at least some comfort from a letter. Your son and daughter weep from missing you. But Huren's letters also reveal her fears for the safety of her sons. The favoured heir to the throne was Prince Mustafa, the son of Huren's old rival Mahi Devran. Mustafa had the support of the army and the Grand Vizier Ibrahim Pasha. Some visitors were captured slaves like Ibrahim Pasha. He did become a companion and a favorite of the Sultan. They would generally dine together and he would his bed was in the same room as the Sultan's. 
or even stories of intense emotional relationship. Some Europeans spoke of a sexual relationship. Maybe yes, maybe no. In any event, that was a very close emotional and political relationship. So as a very young man, probably in his 20s, he was suddenly the top man in the empire after the Sultan himself. Suleiman had cemented this relationship by giving his own sister in marriage to Ibrahim. None of this pleased the ambitious Hurem. Ibrahim's prestige was something she could not tolerate. We should not uh, forget that we are talking about uh, power politics here. 16th century Ottoman Empire was at its height. That meant tremendous power. So, of course, she wants to undermine it. In one of her letters, Purim refers to a disagreement with Ibrahim Pasha. She writes to Suleiman, And now you inquire about why I'm not with Ibrahim Pasha. You'll hear about it when... You will hear about it when I am granted my next meeting with you. <laughs> For the moment, give the Pasha our greetings. Give hope they will be acceptable to him. Ibrahim played into her hands. Within very short space of time, he acquired lots of uh, wealth. Solomon the Magnificent could figure out where that wealth was coming from. At least partially, it was graft. If graft and corruption were among Ibrahim's faults, another was an arrogant assumption of his own worth. He's reported by one ambassador as saying, Though I am the Sultan's slave, whatever, whatever I say is done. I can at a stroke make a pasha out of a stable boy. I can give kingdoms and provinces to whosoever I choose, and my lord will say nothing against it. Ibrahim's confidence was misplaced. On the 15th of March, 1536, Ibrahim Pasha accepted, yes. as usual, the Sultan's invitation to dine with him. We're going to rewind because I want to hear that song again. Most fucking work. After she was married, we start calling her Koran Sultan. She was really like a queen. She builds up diplomatic relations and she also influences her husband politically. In another move that impressed Western observers, Hurem occupied new apartments next to her husband. The chambers of the Sultan are very splendid. With chapels, baths, gardens, not only for herself, but her maids as well. But for long periods, the two lovers were apart. Suleiman was a fighting sultan who had already extended his empire westward. He took Belgrade, he destroyed the whole of the Hungarian ruling classes in 1526, had a stroke and rode into Buda, a conqueror. And by 1529, he was at the gates of Vienna. But even on campaign, his thoughts were with Hurem, 
he sent frequent love letters and poems. Yeah, we can get nearer to his personality is through his poems, which are remarkable for any ruler. The green of my garden, my sweet sugar, my treasure, my love who cares for nothing in this world, my master of Egypt, my Joseph, my everything, the queen of my heart's realm, my land of the Roman Caesars, my Baghdad and Khorasan. Lovely, lovely poems exist that pass back and forth in correspondence between the two. I should put that if whole thing in the seas were to become ink and these trees, pens, when could they write an account of this parting? Probably has been. There is no limit to the burning anguish of separation. Let my soul gain at least some comfort from a letter. Your son and daughter weep from missing you between the two. If the seas were to become ink and these trees, pens, when could they write an account of this parting? There is no limit to the burning anguish of separation. Let my soul gain at least some comfort from a letter. Your son and daughter weep from missing you. But Huren's letters also reveal her fears for the safety of her sons. The favoured heir to the throne was Prince Mustafa, the son of Hurem's old rival, Mahi Devran. Mustafa had the support of the army and the Grand Vizier, Ibrahim Pasha. Some viziers were captured slaves like Ibrahim Pasha. He did become a companion and a favourite of the Sultan. They would generally dine together and he would, his bed was in the same room as the Sultan's. <laughs> There are even stories of intense emotional relationship. Some Europeans spoke of a sexual relationship. Maybe yes, maybe no. In any event, that was a very close emotional and political relationship. So as a very young man, probably in his 20s, he was suddenly the top man in the empire after the Sultan himself. Suleiman had cemented this relationship by giving his own sister in marriage to Ibrahim. None of this pleased the ambitious Hurem. Ibrahim's prestige was something she could not tolerate. We should not uh, forget that we are talking about uh, power politics here. The 16th century Ottoman Empire was at its height. That meant tremendous power. So, of course, she wants to undermine it. One of her letters, Hurim refers to a disagreement with Ibrahim Pasha. She writes to Suleiman, and now you inquire about why I'm not with Ibrahim Pasha. You'll hear about it when... You will hear about it when I am granted my next meeting with you. For the moment, give the Pasha our greetings. We hope... the beginning after a great devastation the gods came and manifested humans again and this is a theme that we see repeated all over the world 
there is a continuity in the stories that cannot be dismissed. One of those continuities is the story of the Great Flood. That's reflected in the Babylonian text, in the Hebrew text, in the Egyptian text. They all mention something similar. When you do a deep survey into the myths from around the world, it talks about a dark world and the end of an age. And then there's this cataclysm and this flood occurs and the individual escapes the flood. And then after that, it is the beginning of this golden age. Best programming in the universe. By a day or twelve dollar a month. Give the Pasha our greetings. Covered them all. We hope they will be acceptable to him. Ibrahim played into her hands. Within very short space of time, he acquired lots of uh, wealth. Solomon the Magnificent could figure out where that wealth was coming from. At least partially, it was graft. If graft and corruption were among Ibrahim's faults, another was an arrogant assumption of his own worth. He is reported by one ambassador as saying, though I am the Sultan's slave, whatever, whatever I say I is done, done, I can at a stroke make a pasha out of a stable boy. I can give kingdoms and provinces to whosoever I choose, and my lord will say nothing against it. Yeah. Fucking Sultan. Sounds just like Trump. Ibrahim's confidence was misplaced. And on the 15th of March, 1536, Ibrahim Pasha, <laughs> as usual, the Sultan's <laughs> to dine with him. They eat at the same table until late at night, according to Ramadan traditions. They talk and entertain themselves, and then they go to bed. We don't really know what happened that night, but obviously, the Sultan had decided that the Grand Vizier had become too powerful. As a compliment to his boyhood friend, Suleiman apparently ordered the same method of execution reserved for <laughs> his own kin, garroting with a bowstring so oh there would be God. no spilling of royal blood. Are you fucking kidding me? But Ibrahim put up too much of a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> Suleiman in both Ottoman sources and in European sources is frequently portrayed as a man of ire. Anything that threatened the state or that threatened his own integrity as ire. ruler would motivate him to take violent moves. <clears throat> man of ire. The next morning, Ibrahim's body was found outside the palace. This is a reminder of how Ottoman government worked. You could raise a peasant from the dust to be Grand Vizier, but his life hung by a thread. Hanging by a thread, leaving 
The next day, Ibrahim's wife, Solomon's sister, comes to the palace and blames the Sultan for her husband's death. Solomon goes to the harem to find shelter in Haram's arms.